Makachev versus Green, renamed as of about 10 minutes ago when Keith and I are recording this uh, the week before uh, fight week. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing great. Pretty crazy. I was ready to break down a probably a title eliminated matchup with Islam Akashev versus Benil Dariush. Uh, Ten minutes before, I, I find out that Benil Dariush is out. And then literally while me and you were talking to each other, and I'm asking, like, oh, what are we going to do with the main event? Are we going to re-record something? You're like, what do you mean? We have Bobby Green in. I'm like, I don't even know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's fun. We we like to bash the – like, we're one of the ones. We're not one of the – we're not company men. Like, if the UFC does something good, I, this this kind of two, two camps. There's the – and I'm not going to name any names because I like people on both camps. But there's the media members that are – don't ruffle any feathers – be company man, always make sure you got your media passes, make sure you got your exclusive interviews, never say anything on UFC. You got other camps that, oh my God, Dana White is is the devil, the antichrist, everything they do is greed, terrible, Every, they never made a right decision ever in the company of ever. I see we're like a somewhat balanced between, but we will bash the UFC. Obviously, I'm not happy that Benio Darius is out. I mean, that's such a fantastic matchup, stylistically matchup. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to give me a backup plan and it's going to be Bobby Green, like, that's like, let's give the UFC some credit. Like, that's a fantastic matchup. And, and it's not just Bobby Green, but it's Bobby Green coming off probably the best back to back performances he's had in right. five or six years. Like, Bobby Green may be at the best we've ever seen him. And, Obviously, UFC 271 just passed by uh, a couple days ago, and because I was on site, I didn't actually join in the recap, but that would have been one of the things I wanted to talk about. Is this the best Bobby Green has ever been Yeah. at 35, 18 or 19 fights into his UFC career? Like, does he have the potential to turn a corner? Kind of like uh, kind of like Jorge Masvidal did a couple years ago. Where exactly he went from, you know, because I, I always thought of Bobby Green kind of like, Michael Johnson, you know, like huge upside, but prone to losing fights in dumb ways at the wrong time. Never going to string together quite enough wins to live up to his potential. But now I'm thinking of him more like Jorge Masvidal, where he's an engaging enough guy on the mic and he's dazzling when he's on. Just winning the like the right couple of fights in a row could turn him maybe not into quite the Masvidal where he arguably became the biggest star in the sport overnight, but like a mid-career star turn like very few we've seen. And yeah. if he beats Makachev this weekend, Forget shit it. is on. Like, Oh, absolutely. You're top this five. Is, this is the year of Bobby Green. Like, Bobby Green could lose two more fights between now and the end of the year if he beats Makachev, and he still might be the breakthrough fighter of the year. Yeah, I, I love these type things because you don't get it in other sports. Like, I mean, I guess I was, I'm sure there's examples, but as popular as is that, like, you don't get suddenly you have a – low-level NFL player who didn't really break through, then all of a sudden at 35, they have a career season, and everyone's like, I mean, I guess I guess that does happen, but to have it as frequent, and, or, you know, you mentioned Jorge Masvidal being, like, you don't get a 35-year-old who suddenly becomes a mega star in NFL or, or NBA or baseball or whatever. And I, I know Masvidal wasn't that old, but uh, just, and I, Obviously, he was someone we figured we knew. We we figured the book was written on the guy. Yes, another guy I think of, Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler was 
all the potential in the world. This is the the next Matt Hughes. Matt Hughes was the guy. He's going to be better than Matt Hughes because he's Matt Hughes can also he also can bang and he's got big power in both hands. And then he kind of flamed out and we gave up on him and you know he left the UFC and all this. He got brought back to for Josh Koscheck to get a rebound easy win off of. And instead, he starts upsetting guys and wins a UFC title and actually has a couple title defenses. So uh, I don't know if Bobby Green is going to have that success, but I love this turnaround story. And he's great on the mic. He was great the other day. He had an incredible performance. But now we were talking on the recap. uh, This is like we talk about him getting a step up. Let's see how real he is. Oh, he got to step up, all right, because he might be fighting the best 155 pounder in the world. He, there you go. Like there are, I think Islam Makachev would be the betting favorite against any active lightweight right now. Like if he was fighting Charles Oliveira this coming weekend, Makachev probably yeah. his light favorite. We've talked about this. I I agree. Yeah. And yeah, like it's a short notice turnaround for Green. Makachev now has to prepare for a very different opponent than what he was he was planning on having. But Makachev, he was a minus 380 favorite over Dariush. So, I mean, it can, it's not going to be much worse than that against Green. Yeah. You know what's funny? Makachev might be the – and, of course, we're throwing might out there. He – you know, we're just saying might because it's an argument. I'm not picking – we're not making predictions on him versus these guys. But he might be the best lightweight in the world, but also not the best lightweight in his own room. <laughs> Because there's a, I don't know if that man, and obviously I'm talking about Habib, could make 155 anymore. But uh, just a crazy, just crazy. It's one of these, you know, the master and the student. Now the student is the master. It's just, uh, it's it's fantastic. It is. South of, of that main event, whether it was Dariush or Green against Makachev, I mean, obviously that's a fantastic fight. It was a possible title eliminator. It still might be if Makachev wins. But south of that, you've said that we will give the UFC all the credit when credit is due, but also, like, speak our truth when it's not. Dude, the rest of this card is struggle. I mean, here we go. As currently constituted, the co-main event is Misha Serkinov versus Wellington Terman, and the third fight down is ji Kim versus Priscilla Cachoeira. The losers of both of those fights are probably going to be on my cut list. How often does that happen with like the two fights, second and third from the top of a UFC well, card? I'll say this. I, I get what you're saying, and, and I obviously agree. It's not the deepest card. It's not loaded. I think the order is really messed up in this card because I think there's much better fights lower on the card. For example, uh, Sarukian uh, Alvarez, I think, should be the co-main event. Uh, oh, and I, you could you could argue that Terrence McKinney versus Ferez Zayam sh- should be right next after that. There's that's what I was going to say. Lightweight fights right off the top. No, yeah. I, I agree. I, I agree. Like the the order is weird, and there's every chance that it'll get jumbled between now and when the fights roll through. Yeah. And here's another kind of sneaky thing about this card: the six fight main card has three fighters on it who missed weight their last time out, plus Gian Kim who's missed weight twice in her last four fights. And the undercard has two people dropping in weight for the first time. Like, if we don't have, like, three people missing weight on this card, I'll be surprised. And that always leads to jumbling as well. It's funny because somehow you may be more excited for this card now. Like, I'm intrigued to see if they're going to make weight on top of the the fights. Yeah, like, it, but 
it's not the kind of suspense we want, but it's the kind of suspense we get. And, you know, if a weight miss is bad enough that a fight gets pushed, that fight's probably going to drop on the, the lineup. So, again, we currently have a six-fight undercard, six-fight main card set up here that, aside from the main event, it looks like they just kind of pulled the bouts out of a hat. But we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, and with injuries and COVID and weight cuts and all this, like, we're going to lose one more fight at least. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna lose at least one. Hopefully, not one of the good ones we named. I, I've got some that I secretly hope it is. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully James Krause is on site, ready to make weight. James James Krause is there, ready. He's ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, unless you've got anything else, let's just uh, jump right into these prelims. All right, let's do it. The first fight out of the gate at UFC Vegas 49 is a flyweight matchup between a couple of LFA veterans in Victor Altamirano and Carlos Hernandez, both of whom will be making their UFC debut on this card. Altamirano, who actually uh, was the outgoing LFA flyweight champ when he uh, fought on Dana White's Contender Series last uh, summer, is 31 years old, a Mexican fighting out of Fort Worth, Texas, he is he's 10 and one overall uh, again you know this will be his UFC debut he took a split decision over Carlos Candelario on the contender series last August 31st uh, he'll be taking on Hernandez the 28 year old Chicago native is seven and one overall he again uh, also was a I mean a likely immediate uh, title challenger in LFA if he had not gone to the contender series himself in October, there's every chance he could have fought for the title that uh, Altamirano vacated. But uh, he fought on the contender series on October 5th of last year, took a split decision over Daniel Perez. Odds on this one slightly favor uh, Hernandez. He's minus 120. Altamirano, even money, plus 100 uh, as of, uh, you know, the week before fight week. Uh, Keith, Couple of LFA guys, couple of interesting new additions to the 125-pound division. Couple of alums of the most recent uh, contender series, and a little bit of a mirror match. It feels like to me, a, a lot of these, a lot of their uh, tendencies, uh, you know, kind of remind me of, of each other. They're both guys who present as strikers and and like clearly want to strike by preference, but most of their best weapons come on the ground, but. Despite that, I don't think either of them has really much in the way of conventional offensive wrestling. Like every time I watch them, it just seems like they're striking until it's not going that well. And then, you know, either they get taken down or just kind of fall into a takedown. I'm like, man, why did why did you start looking for this? Because you're great on the ground. I, I feel that way about both these guys. Um, beyond that, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I don't have a super good take on how these guys are going to look against each other. And Again, there's every chance that if not for the contender series, they might have fought each other and they might be fighting each other in LFA this weekend, you know, for uh, for the title. Uh, I am actually leaning Altamirano. He's the slight, slight underdog here uh, that may flip by the time fight night comes around. But I feel as though he's a little more proven against a little bit uh, better competition. And I do. Uh, I like his striking a little better than that of Hernandez. Uh, he, he's kind of rangy for a. Uh, I mean, for a flyweight, he's shorter than me, but they're all shorter than me. Um, <clears throat> uh, but but seems to use it pretty well. So I expect that this thing will probably stay on the feet almost the entire fight. And give me Morano, Alta Morano, to take a decision. Yeah, I, I think they're fun fighters. I, like, I don't I don't have the like 
biggest belief in these guys. Like, I don't think they're going to be top 15 guys or anything like that, but they're going to be fun in matchups coming up. So you're saying they may still fight for a title in LFA, like just a year yeah. from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Alma Toronto, I want to say this. I thought he lost his contender series match. I thought it was clear too. And for me, being a New Englander, to actually back a New Englander and say Carlos Candelaria won, uh, he's he's like the one. I, I don't know. He's like the one New Englander that I've always been really supportive. I just I, I love his style, uh, and I thought he won the first and second round, no doubt. Um, but doesn't matter. Almatrano got the contract. Uh, he's southpaw, really good head movement. Uh, he better have good head movement because he keeps his hands low, but good output on the feet. He when he's attacking, he's attacking with combos, tons of kicks, knees inside. Uh, he goes for takedown, but he kind of just reaches. Uh, as you mentioned, he's not a strong conventional wrestler. I actually think his takedown defense is weak, but he can work off his back well. But it kind of a two-edged sword. When he's getting sweeps and he's getting submissions, which he has, he has four submissions on his record, it goes great. Or you see the bad thing against, like, uh, Candelario, where he's losing rounds because he's struggling to get up. Uh, but he's got really good cardio. That was the difference in... in in the fight against Candelaro, he won the third round with his output, with his cardio. Um, I still thought he lost the first two. Anyways, Hernandez, I like that you said they marry each other because a lot of things I was going to say, uh, very similar. Hernandez, good footwork. He changes angles well on his attacks, high output. Uh, everything's tight, like boxing style. He has a lot of variety in strikes, so it's not just like jab one, two. He'll throw hooks, he'll throw uppercuts, uh, kicks to the body, step in knees. He mixes striking and takedown attempts. I'll say takedown attempts together well. Because, again, uh, he's not a great offensive wrestler, but he looks to wrestle. He looks to win positions, which is smart. Uh, he likes being the one pressing the action. Uh, he, not so much being pressed. Uh, but plum clinch is strong. Uh, he looks to advance position when it hits the ground. Good back takes. He, has, he also has four submission wins. But <laughs> as we mentioned with... His opponent, he's also a weak defensive wrestler. Uh, and even on, in a fight he won in the contender series, he was taken down and has back taken and almost submitted. Uh, but again, like his opponent, really good cardio, and he won because of digging deep in the third round. So like, I agree. This is a tough battle right out the gate. I don't think either fighter is that good, but they're so tough and have great output that they make it competitive no matter who they're facing. Hernandez should have the advantage, I think, in the offensive wrestling. Uh, I also think he might be the more well-rounded fighter. However, I think Amatrano hits harder, especially with his kick, his kicking game. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fun back-and-forth affair. They're going to set uh, set the night out right with a really fun fight. But I'm agreeing with you. I'm taking Amatrano in a very close uh, upset and a very close decision. We now head to the Bantamweight division, and it is Alejandro Perez versus Jonathan Martinez. Perez, the 32-year-old Mexican, is 22-8-1 overall. He's 8-3-1 in the UFC. Fought most recently last October at UFC Fight Night Santos versus Walker, where he choked out Johnny Eduardo in the second round with, well, the, the scarfhold arm lock that is the bane of every uh, female flyweight with poor takedown defense. But he actually turned it into a finish, so good for you, Perez. Uh, he is taking on Martinez, the... Thir sorry, 27-year-old from the Texas Panhandle is 14-4 and four overall. He is 5-3 and three in the UFC. 
He is coming off a win in his last outing, uh, a unanimous decision over Zbiad Lazishvili at UFC Fight Night, Costa versus Vittori on October 23rd. Uh, Martinez is a comfortable favorite here. He's minus 210. Perez plus 175 on the comeback. Uh, Keith, I'm going to flip this to you for your pick first, but it's interesting. This is I feel like this is a fight between someone I've I basically kind of forgotten about and a guy that I kind of dismissed out of the gate and it took me a while to come come around on him. Like Perez, yeah. Perez a couple of years ago was maybe the hottest guy in the division. He was on a seven-fight unbeaten streak in the UFC, then back-to-back losses to Cody Stamen and Song Yudong, and the two Song fight. Two really good guys, but the Yudong one in particular was brutal. Like, he just got, got cold. Yeah, he got knocked cold, and then he was gone for two whole years. Comes back and fights Johnny Eduardo, and, like, I, he's one of those guys that, if you're gone for two years, I might forget you existed. And That's I'm right. somebody who who thinks about every single card every weekend. He came back, just kind of reminded us, hey, I'm I'm here and I'm still a pretty good dude. And those losses to Stamen and, and Song only aged well in the time he was gone because yeah. both those guys have done great things. Yeah. Uh, so he's back. And then Martinez, like back in 2018, when he stepped up on short notice and fought uh, Andre Sukumtot, I was like, this guy's going to be too. Yeah, he's going to be he's going to be two and two. Hey, there you go. Rhode Island zone and Jonathan uh, Martinez is from Texas and I don't think I picked him, which which is saying a lot like, um, but I was like, all right, this guy, he's not that good. He's going to be two and gone and like back to, you know, LFA or, or combate or whatever. But since then he's now five and three in the UFC aside from the Sukumtat loss, which was again on really short notice. He's only lost to good people. He's also lost to Andre Yule and Davey Grant, and he's beaten some decent people in between. Uh, I think moving to Factory X has done him a world of good. You know, they have a, a bunch of lighter weight fighters for him to to work with. But yeah, he's he's not a contender yet, but he's heavily favored against a good fighter in Perez this time, and he's not that far from it. Uh, tell me how you see yeah. this fight playing out, man. Well, I have an issue with the line. Like, I don't is, and I think that line might be a little bit what you talk about. Like, you kind of forget about Perez, and, and I feel like Martinez is in that same boat. Like, if Martinez is is overachieving right now and he's doing really well, but if he left for two years, I think we'd forget about him. Like, even though we, we you were just saying nice things about him, yeah. uh, so I think that's why the line might be a little bit off. But I mean, Perez, he's he's a boxer, a very Bob and Weave heavy style. He attacks with combos, uh, targets the body. Throws a lot of power shots, though he has a lot of tells because he loads up on a lot of shots. He likes uh, like high risk. He loves that lead uppercut. But I like that he digs the body. Great calf kicks. He will sneak in a takedown. And I would say he's an underrated grappler. I mean, he got a submission in his last fight. Uh, he loves anacondas and guillotines. He's got strong takedown defense to take him down. Uh, though I am a little worried about his chin, as he, as you mentioned, he was knocked out cold recent. Uh, well, not recent, but just two fights ago. But he did take such a long layoff that I feel a lot better. Now move over to Martinez, uh, Muay Thai style southpaw, who's very technically sound. And you mentioned him going to Factory X. I agree that has really improved his um, like technical standpoint. I also think it's probably helped his confidence too. Uh, you know, fighting killers every day. Um, he works from. He likes to work from distance. Uh, will move, stick and move. Works behind a jab. He lacks true like one punch power. That's like the one thing that's that's lacking in his striking game. 
but he's sharp. I mean, um, he likes to work the body. Uh, a lot of kicks, a lot of teep kicks, mixes punching kicks well, loves flying knee. Weak takedown defense, though. And again, he recently was knocked out by Davey Grant. So you got to wonder where his chin's at. So this is, I'm torn. I'm glad that you pointed out that Perez might be a little disrespected. Uh, I'm, I am picking Martinez. I think he's the sharper striker. However, Perez might have the advantage on the ground. And Martinez has shown that he can be taken down. So that's, if I'm coaching Perez, that's the avenue I'm pushing. But if this remains on the feet, I think Martinez is the more technically sound striker. I think he outpoints him. Give me Martinez by decision. Yeah, I couldn't have uh, said it better, and so I won't try. But it really didn't even enter into my mind that uh, Perez, you know, could and possibly should seek to take things to the ground. Or again, like as we say a lot of times, even if the game plan isn't I'm going to take him down and win this with wrestling, at least try a couple times because it has then its impact on on striking as well, you know. Uh, but I, I'm with you. Perez could certainly land something big. He throws everything hard. And if he catches Martinez like Davey Grant did, he could get the knockout. But I, I expect Martinez will be able to keep him at distance, uh, use his kicks, and and win the decision as well. Uh, this one should be a fun one. Like, uh, But, yeah, I'm not seeing the knockout for either guy either. Next up at UFC Vegas 49 is a strawweight matchup between Jin Yu Fry and Hannah Goldie. Fry, the 36-year-old Dallas native, is 11 and 6 overall. She is 2 and 2 since joining the UFC as the former Invicta Atomweight champ. Uh, she lost her two her first two UFC fights right out the gate against Kay Hansen and Loma Lukbunmi. Since then, she's won back-to-back -back fights, both of them unanimous decisions over Gloria De Paula back in March of last year. And then most recently, Ashley Yoder, whom she beat at UFC on ESPN Hall versus Strickland in July. She'll be taking on Goldie. The 29-year-old Floridian is 6-2 overall. She's 1-2 in the UFC uh, since joining out of the third season of Dana White's Contender Series. And like Fry, she lost her first two fights in the Octagon against Miranda Granger and Deanna Belbitza. She won... Uh, third time was the charm for her. She beat Emily Whitmire by first round submission at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Span in September. Uh, that apparently not good enough for her. She has decided that her best chances for success lie in changing uh, weight class. So she will be dropping down from flyweight to strawweight here. Uh, if she makes it, the size difference between these two women should be stark, considering that, again, Fry, a former atomweight, and just has been visibly undersized against almost all of her UFC opponents. I mean, Loma Lugumi was about her same size, but Loma's a tiny uh, strawweight as well. Nonetheless, uh, confidence in Fry, pretty good among the bookmakers. She is minus 180, Goldie plus 155. Keith, is uh, Jinyu Fry going to make it three straights when there was every chance she might have washed out of the UFC with no wins at all? Or is Hannah Goldie going to look like a genius for dropping those 10 pounds? Yeah, it's funny that you say that. Because when I think of Jinyu Fry, like, I'm not thinking she wins and she's on a three-fight win streak. I, I feel like she's been a disappointment in the UFC. Uh, but yeah, yeah she, she really can uh, turn around with a win here. Uh, you know, I feel like at this point of Fry's career, we kind of know what she is. She's a southpaw. She's a counter-striker. She fights at a very slow pace, like very like Andrea Lowski type pace. 
it's, sometimes it can even be as low as Sam Alvey pace. Uh, you know, she she's scared to pull the trigger sometimes, which is sad because she's pretty technically sound. Uh, she's very when she's letting her hands go, she's good at picking her opponent's timing, uh, picking up her opponent's timing. Uh, she's she can get inside. She can uh, unleash good technical strikes or she can start grinding in the clinch against the fence, which is really surprising. That's her game. Considering you mentioned she is undersized in the weight class, but she does well there. Uh, Labume did beat her up there. Uh, I was a little surprised she couldn't out muscle loop Labume, but Labume is very technically sound Muay Thai striker. So that obviously is a position she's been in so much. What I like about Fry is that she's smart. She's intelligent. Like she'll grab on a single from there, run the pipe, get the fight to the ground. Uh, she can shoot underneath her opponents. Good top control. She showed that against Gloria DePaulo, who's, who's known for her grappling. She looks to advance position. Uh, decent takedown defense, but if, if you put her on her back, she really struggles to get off on her back. Uh, and um, some of that is just due to her lack of size again. And what. Now you move over to Goldie. You mentioned about the size difference. Besides just dropping down a weight, like Goldie is ripped. I mean, she's... She's on that like William Knight workout plan. Like she's, uh, you know, her style. She's lots of movement, very in and out style. She gets in and tries to get out. I'd say fast hands, not but some technical holes. Not a lot of power because she one she pulls her head back and pulls her punches, and she also throws a lot of arm punches. But I like her kicks. She throws a lot of kicks. Has a very like Taekwondo style to her kicks, but she keeps her chin high in the air. Uh, she, besides pulling her punches, he pulls her head back to avoid strikes. Uh, weak takedown defense. Um, but I'd say she's an okay grappler. Um, I don't think she's a strong wrestler, but she did get two takedowns against uh, Diana Belpita. And, but she was taken down by Emily Whitmire twice. But to her credit, she got a submission on Emily Whitmire. So I'm really shocked by the odds. To me, this is a really tough fight to call. I've I just never been that high on Fry, and I really want to pick Goldie. I don't think anyone should be a favorite. I really think it should be a pick 'em. However, Goldie had a baby with Alex Nicholson, yeah. and I can't I just can't see someone making those decisions being successful in life. So uh, I'm gonna go with the against my own judgment, and I really feel like I know I'm getting this one wrong. But uh, give me Fry in a very Fry type decision, uh, and, and just for the record, I have no issues with with Hannah Go. I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. Uh, I just anytime I can take a shot at like a racist domestic violence abuser like Alex Nicholson, I'm going to do it. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on all counts here. If a fight comes down to a coin flip, I, I am going to pick on the one that did not associate with Alex Nicholson. You know, just uh, yeah, everything you, you said here. Is just, is just spot on. Uh, Fry, I, I don't mean this to be mean because you and I both agreed it was good to see her get a win in the UFC. Just it would have been a shame given what she had done in, in Invicta and in uh, and in, in Ryzen for her to be one of these fighters who never got a win in the UFC. So when I say this, it's not to be mean, but she has one of the biggest disparities between how much ass you think she should kick when you look at her versus how much she actually does. Cause I mean, yeah, she's undersized for the weight class, but she's absolutely ripped. She's got one of the most arresting scowls, this side of like Carlos Condit 
like she just looks like she wants to, to kill the other person across the cage. And then she comes out and like throws six strikes around. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> very Fabio it, Chirot <laughs> strategy. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's rough stuff, man. Uh, if this were Goldie's second fight at strawweight, even if like even if she lost the first one, just but but if she'd proven that she could make strawweight and with no issue, I'd feel better about picking her. But that's another reason I'm I'm leaning towards Fry here. I, I mean, if Goldie if she makes weight, it it might compromise her chin, but Fry's not going to test that. It might compromise her gas tank, but Fry's not going to test that either. Like just Fry doesn't push a pace that's going to exhaust the other woman. But nonetheless, I, I am picking her to just be able to either stay all the way out and do like the long range counter striking thing she wants to do or get all the way in and not be completely uh, bullied by Goldie. And that's that's where this really hinges on as far as I'm concerned. Like the first time they clinch, does Goldie just ragdoll her or is Fry able to just kind of do the neutralizer thing? I'm expecting neutralizer and this is probably going to be a pretty neutralized fight. If if there's an anti-fight of the night pick, this is probably it. Like this is this is your smoke break fight. Oh, Even if you yeah. don't smoke, start smoking just so you have a reason <laughs> to, leave, to leave. Just kidding. Don't don't riot. Don't <laughs> bet based on my advice and don't start smoking. But that's two picks, Virginia Fry by decision. Yeah, there you go. All the parents, all the parents are messaging us right now. Is <laughs> my own son watches this. Don't start smoking, Adam. Hey, just for before we move on, who, you wouldn't believe this. Virginia Fry actually has a longer reach than Hannah Goldie. She had three-inch reach. Goldie got the like she's got the the Artem Lobov arms. I mean, yeah. if she if she was <laughs> well, already like, she was already jacked. If she makes one fifteen, she's gonna be like Ariane Carnalosi, where she's short but just yeah, it's, burly it's like as hell. People are jacked and they because of their muscles are so big they can't stretch <laughs> their arms fully. Like they can't, yeah. you know. So they kind of have that arm down thing going. And and just for the record, like Ginny Fry, when she was in Invicta, she went against Grusanda twice. And she won both decisions. I thought she lost both fights. Just, I just want to throw that. I throw, I haven't thrown that about Jenny Fry in a long time. I covered both of those for Sure Dog, and I don't remember how I scored either. I just remember it feels like they, they fought fifty rounds. Like it just yeah. really brought out both women's worst tendencies. There you go. <laughs> like I, I think that's basically why Grisander more or less retired. Like she lost twice to Fry. And just nobody wanted to see them fight a third time because you knew what you were getting. Like, yeah. uh, too close to call, five round, just ugh. Next up at UFC Fight Night 202 is the first of what are currently five scheduled, or sorry, four scheduled uh, lightweight fights on this card, and all of them are at least pretty good. It is Terrace McKinney versus Ferez Zayam. McKinney, the 27-year-old uh, Spokane native, is 11 and three overall. He is one and zero in the UFC, and you could not have scripted a much better uh, octagon debut than setting the lightweight record for fastest knockout. If you recall, he face planted Matt Frivola in just seven seconds last summer at UFC 263. It will be hard to match that, but he will certainly at least try to build on it uh, this weekend against Ferez Zayam. The 24-year-old Frenchman is 12 and three overall. He is two and one in the UFC. 
dropped his UFC debut to Don Madge all the way back in September of 2019. Since then, he has won two in a row, albeit on a pretty sporadic schedule. Uh, he fought in October of 2020 and took a unanimous decision over Jamie Malarkey at UFC Fight Night, Ortega versus Korean Zombie, then fought again last June at UFC 263 as well, taking a majority decision against Luigi Vendramini. Uh, despite that sporadic schedule, Zayam is a slight favorite, at least as of uh, a few days out from fight week. He is minus 130, McKinney plus 110 as the slight underdog. Keith, I assume you're not picking a seven-second knockout by either in this no. fight, but uh, what are you picking? Well, I think we already broke this fight down, and then it got canceled. So I'm just reading my notes. I, I don't know if we actually read it on there or if it got canceled before, but... Uh, I didn't change my pick. This is a fantastic fight. Like, this is the one I'm really looking forward to. Uh, the winner of this fight it looks like they're going to have a really bright future in the UFC. Uh, McKinney, a great story. He's, uh, you know, and then his skills, he's very skilled. Well-rounded, southpaw, fast hands. I love his push kicks. Big, big power. I mean, he's got a 100% stoppage rate. Uh, he's, and, like, you talked about him knocking off roll. He was touching everyone and the regional scene before that, too. Uh, he can drop his hands and throw a little wild, which I don't like. Uh, he does make the mistake. A lot of wrestlers do try to end the fight with a single punch. But he's a very good wrestler, too. He's a junior college wrestling champion. And just like a side note, something about junior college wrestling champions. They like almost succeed better than Division One NCAA champions do. It's just, And I, I wonder if it's because... Actually, I don't. We're not going to go to that route. Um, I was going to guess. You know who we go in the rabbit hole. We went really far. Yeah. Uh, we'll save that for. Uh, uh, we'll save that for when we have to talk about like a terrible fight on a recap show. Then we'll uh, start talking about like John Jones and Cain Velasquez versus like people like you know Josh Koscheck. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Ed Ruth. Uh, right. So I mean, his entries are lightning fast. He really he turns the corner. Uh, chain wrestles good. He looks to when he's on top. He looks to advance position. Good ground and pound. He has six submission wins. Uh, the only question I have is his gas tank. He's never been to a decision. Now move over to Zion. I think Zion's twenty four or twenty five years old. Which twenty four, yeah. Twenty four. Uh, yeah, kickboxing experience. K one uh, kickboxing champion. He's long and lengthy. Power jab. He uses the jab to keep his distance. He's so accurate. Uh, he does lack one punch ending power. Um, well, he he's he's got power, but it's not one punch. Like he's got I'd say he's got plus power. Uh, he stands behind a high guard. Good footwork. Good movement. Uh, does stand a little tall for my liking. That kickboxing style uh, lacks a little head movement. He he doesn't like to be pressured. Go back to that Jamie Malarkey fight. But I feel like that Jamie, even though he got to win Jamie Malarkey fight, I feel like I I feel so much better about Zion now based on what Malarkey has done, and we just saw how the output in Jamie Malarkey is so much better than than I realized he was, uh, and so much tougher. Uh, flying knees are fun. Great leg kicks. He really turns over his hips. Like I love his kicks. Solid cl clinch game. If he gets he gets inside, knees up the middle, he'll go for a takedown himself, though he's not, he's not the best wrestler. His takedown defense has to improve a little bit. But decent hip controls, he keeps... The hips moving, uh, and even in like Jamie Larky fight, he got a sweep against Jamie Larky when he was on his back. Uh, prediction: This fight is dope. Like this is really good. Uh, a part of me wants to pick McKinney simply because he has the wrestling advantage. However, he might fall into that striking. We haven't seen his wrestling, and while McKinney is is explosive and has great power, 
I think Zion could still work him from a distance. I think he can get enough exchanges. And uh, I'm going to take Zion to win a very close decision. Uh, yeah, I, you know, you uh, you picked Zion last time, and last time I picked uh, McKinney. I still feel the same way. And I should have mentioned off the top that this uh, fight had been scheduled to take place all the way back last uh October or November, it was canceled because one of McKinney's corner men tested co- positive for COVID. That usually just pushes a fight back like two or three weeks, but in this case, it's been pushed back two or three months. Uh, but yeah, not, not a whole lot has changed. And my pick is still based on McKinney not hanging out on the feet. Like, hopefully, he didn't fall into the classic case of strikeritis where he knocked a man out in seven seconds and he's like, well, that was a lot easier than working for takedowns. I'm just going to do that every time, you know, like uh, Happy Gilmore hitting the hole in one on, on, on the par four. Hopefully that's not what he, he does, because as good uh, a grappler as I am is, and he's a surprisingly effective grappler for a guy with his kickboxing background, I think this is McKinney's fight uh, to lose if he just elects to take Zayam down early and often. And I'm going to pick him to do so. If this goes past the middle of the second round, certainly I'm starting to worry about McKinney's gas, especially if he has embraced uh, a wrestling-heavy approach. But I'm going to say that he gets his takedowns. Maybe this makes it out of the first round, but he hits another takedown in the second and finds some some kind of topside submission, like you know uh, an arm triangle or something. Give me Terrence McKinney by second-round submission, and I think we have our first uh, disagreement of the card. That's the that's the spicy stuff that you folks come here for. We now head to the middleweight division for an intriguing matchup between Armin Petrosian and Gregory Rodriguez. Petrosian, the 31-year-old Armenian, is 6-1 overall. This will be his UFC debut. He competed on Dana White's Contender Series last October, where he scored a fantastic head kick knockout of Kaloyan Kolev, who was 10-0 at the time, about a 4-1 favorite, and honestly, one of the more touted prospects on the entire last season of Dana White's contender series. So there was no question that he was going to get a contract out of such a shocking upset and, you know, such a a stunning finish. He now gets to face off against Rodriguez. The 29 year old uh, Brazilian is 11 and three overall. He is two and zero since joining the UFC as a veteran of the 2020 season of Dana White's contender series, where he uh, lost to Jordan Williams, was not signed, obviously, went back, won the LFA middleweight title, and got the call up in uh, 2021, where he promptly rattled off two straight wins, beat Dusko Todorovic in his debut uh, at UFC Fight Night Rosenstrike versus Sakai in June, then came back and scored a second-round knockout of Junyong Park at UFC Fight Night Costa versus Vittori in October. The odds are fairly close on this one, but Rodriguez is the slight favorite. Uh, he is minus 170, where Petrosian is plus 150. Uh, Keith, two guys coming in here off of sensational knockouts in their last fight. Two guys kind of poking their head out as interesting rising prospects where not a whole lot was necessarily expected of them a year ago. I mean, Petrosian was fully expected to lose on the contender series. Rodriguez did lose on the contender series That's and right. it was a first round knockout, uh, but yet but here Jordan they are. Williams, and it's, right? yeah, Jordan Williams knocked him out in the first round. Weird. Uh, yeah. Consider that I would heavily 
favor Rodriguez over Jordan Williams if they fought again right now. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, even after Rodriguez went back to LFA and be a pretty good fighter in Josh Fremd, I figured, well, he's a guy that he'll probably get another shot on the Contender Series, you know, maybe next year. And maybe he'll get another try because even though he looks 39, he's only 29. uh, You know, he's got that. He's got that Francisco Trinaldo thing where his head looks 10 years older than his body. But I mean, it really, he looks like somebody did a Photoshop, like put Barack Obama's head on just like the rock body or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, who have you got in this one? One of these guys takes a step forward and it is a wide open middleweight division. So. Uh, the president get his pump in. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a fight that I'm really intrigued in. This, this is one of the fights where we were talking about. Uh, yeah, I understand we were talking not the greatest, deepest fight night card, but this is one of the fights that I was when I was saying like this. The winner of this one, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, the rest of their run in the UFC. Rodriguez is a massive human being, uh, just chiseled, uh, very aggressive. He's a Muay Thai striker. Though he is he is wild. He tries to take his opponent's head off with every single shot he throws. And he has the power to do it, which I love. Uh, this Can fight, I interject really quick? Sure, sure. It makes perfect sense that he's like a primary teammate of Jacare because he strikes like Jacare did really early in his in his uh, mixed martial arts career, where he was a fantastic grappler, obviously, but realized that he had power and just swung way too hard on everything. Yeah, just that's it. It's, yeah. uh, let's throw some hate. It, it's got to, you know brawl at them all all over it but uh <laughs> or, or, or you know what it, you know what he does it's like that fight at a uh at a uh arena that you know goes viral because you know everyone's throwing hay but finally one of them's gonna land and a big fat guy is gonna fall over unconscious and like yeah. upper deck <laughs> <laughs> just imagine gregory rodriguez at like a soccer game just dropping bombs on people <laughs> oh my lord Jeez. uh so despite having this crushing power he he can get tagged himself because he just throws caution to the wind. Like, he doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't think about defense. Uh, and he's been hurt ba- bad, too. I mean, Jordan Williams, as we mentioned, knocked him out. Uh, but he isn't one-dimensional. He's a good grappler. He's got strong takedowns from the clinch. He has a judo background. So he has your throws, your trips, your body locks. Uh, he can wrestle, like, uh, entries. He's got some good, strong penetration steps. Um, though he will shoot without setting them up, but if he gets his opponent's legs, he's so freaking strong. They gotta go flying. They gotta go for a ride. Once on top, strong ground and pound. He is a sub- submission threat. Uh, he's been competing in a lot of grappling to- uh, competitions recently, uh, so you like that uh, if it hits the ground. He makes the mistake of chasing submission and in loosening positions. So it's like his grappling's similar to his striking, where he's trying to end it as soon as possible. And the biggest concern is because of his berserker-type style, he can guess out early. Uh, now, Brasozian, he's a really good addition to the UFC. I thought the line was I, I apologize. Let me throw something in I should have mentioned off the top. Petrosian is yet another fighter who is dropping weight for this appearance. He competed on the Contender Series at light heavyweight. He's fighting at middleweight here. I didn't mention it off the top because he's fought at both. He yeah. fought both over in uh, Europe and Asia. But, yeah, he's dropping from 205 to 185 for this fight. Yeah, there's no issue. I think he, he weighed in at, like, 201 for the contender series. Mm-hmm. So, he's yeah. Yeah, obviously, he's small. I think that was the plan right from the very jump. It's one of those ones the UFC calls. You're not going to say no yeah. to the to a fight. 
he's a great striker. He's very light on his feet. He's accurate. He throws strong, long shots down the pipe. Huge power. All of his wins have come by a knockout. Hard kicks to the body. Beautiful, quick high kick. We saw that on the Katana series. Powerful clinch game. Uh, gets in, grabs the clinch, does throw knees. He just He's a guy who just needs a little bit of space to land a perfect shot. He, and that's what they commented on the Katana series kept talking about. Um, what I've seen of his, I mean, obviously he's, I think he's what, six, seven and oh, or, or he, I think he's six one, and one. Six, yeah, one, six and one. Six and one. So there's not too much film on him, but what I've seen, not the best re- defensive wrestler, but to his credit, he works back up to his feet quickly. Um, and we saw that in the contender series. So I think this fight is going to be insane. Uh, I don't think it's going to last long. Um, but if it remains on the feet, Rodriguez has a clear path to victory, and that is to close the distance, turn it into a grappling matchup. I just don't think he goes that route. Like I think he's gonna he's gonna have a guy who's throwing bombs at him and he's gonna want to throw bombs back. I'm taking the upset. I can see Rodriguez tiring out and the more technical striker taking over. I think uh Petrosian is the more technical striker. I think Rodriguez is gonna punch himself out and then it's just gonna be clean shots coming down the pipe. And I think Petrosian's gonna get another knockout and make a really good UFC uh, statement. I mean, uh, statement is UFC debut. Give me Trishosian by late first round TKO. Oh, I thought I was going to be the only one that was going to be hip to the upset here, but you have, uh, you, you've, you've snaked me. You've stolen my thunder because I'm seeing this as well. And I was, I was literally going to say exactly what you said, where Rodriguez has a clear path to victory here or one that at least favors him the most, but I don't think he's going to take it either. I think he's going to oblige Petrosian with the kind of wild brawl of, that that he wants, only it's not going to be as much of a wild brawl for Petrosian because he's just a, a more composed striker, and I do think he's going to uh, catch Rodriguez. Uh, make it second round for me, and I think by that point, Rodriguez might already be uh, starting to tire and starting to flag a little bit. But that's uh, two picks from us for yet another upset for Armin Petrosian, who will announce himself as a force to be reckoned with in the UFC middleweight division. Next up is another lightweight matchup as Zhu Rong takes on Ignacio Bamondes. Rong, the 21-year-old uh, from Western China, is 18-4 and four overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, dropped his debut by unanimous decision to Rodrigo Vargas at UFC 261 last April. Came back and knocked out Brandon Jenkins in the third round at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Span in September. That's the good news. The bad news is that he missed weight. Uh, he weighed in at 158 for that fight, which is especially embarrassing considering that Jenkins was the one st- uh, stepping up on short notice. Wrong was the one who had been in a full camp. But uh, nonetheless, his purse is a little lighter. Hopefully he will be this time, but he does come in uh, off the back of a win. He'll be taking on Bahamondes. The 24-year-old Chilean is 20. Sorry, is 12 and four overall. He also is one and one in the UFC. He also dropped his debut uh, by split decision to John McDessie. That was at UFC on ABC. Vittori versus Holland last April. He came back with a highlight reel uh, knockout, one of the knockout of the year candidates, taking the head off. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts with a spinning wheel kick with about five seconds left in their fight at UFC on ESPN, Cannoneer versus Gastelum in August. Bob Mondes is a slight favorite. 
sorry, he's a comfortable favorite here. He is minus 270. Wrong is plus 220. Uh, Keith, we haven't had to harp on it in a while because a lot of them haven't shown up on cards in a while. But just another Chinese prospect was something that we found ourselves saying a lot about a year ago when just guys would come in on eight, 10, 12 fight winning streaks out of like WLF wars uh, and just not show themselves to be UFC level. Jury is still out on wrong. Uh, Bob Mondes appears to be here to here to stay. I mean, may not be at lightweight to stay. He is a Titanic dude. Sure. Oh, he's huge. But, but who gets it done here? How do you see this fight playing out? Yeah, this is uh, this is an intriguing matchup. Um, <laughs> the question I want to ask you is, do we really believe Wrong is 21 years old? No, I believe he cuts age. He's, yeah. you know, he's probably like 25 <laughs> he, or 26. The guy's got like 20 fights and he's 21 years old. Uh, well, that's I worth start. mentioning. If, if he is the age that he claims he is, it means he had pro fights when he was 15 years old. And that's not out of the realm of possibility. That Ooh. certainly happens in some countries. Hell, you know, Joe Daddy Stevenson was having pro fights at 16 mm -hmm. in California, but California wasn't very well regulated in the late 90s. China is not yeah. very well regulated now, but I still think Wrong is a couple years older than he says he is. There's just no he, way he was fighting, you know, two pro fights a month when he was 16 years old. What what I would love is if he just continues to say he's 21 like three years from now. Like he's still, still 21. 21. <laughs> He's got, he's got a full head of gray hair and stuff. Uh, 2021. 20, uh, his, his, his kids, his kids fighting in the UFC. And his kids claiming to be 22. Dad's 21. Um, so I mean, he. So besides his experience, he's he's beat up a lot of cans to get to where he is. But there is things I like about him, and there's some things I hate about him. So uh, I, I shouldn't say hate. Like I dislike things he does. Not about him, but uh, he's a good boxer. He's got a. Uh, he fights behind a high guard. Very patient striker. He doesn't open up um, power shots until there's an opening. And when he does, he's accurate. He lands. Uh, he's got good power, too. And, of course, he's only coming into his power because he's only 21 years old. Uh, he, he throws a lot of kicks, which I like. But some things I don't like is he keeps his chin high in the air. And if he – and I keep hopping on this, but if he really is 21, well, he has time to fix that. Uh, he's an average offensive wrestler more of a funk style instead of an explosive athlete. Uh, he's not the best defensive wrestler. And a big negative I have is while he hasn't been submitted in a really long time, he does have three submission losses. Again, if we're going back to when he was 17, 18, I'm going to give him a pass. But again, I'm not too sure of that. Now, Baja Mondays, I don't know if this guy's going to be an elite fighter or anything, but he's exciting. He's an athletic fighter who's long and lengthy. He's a sharp striker that is technically sound. He can fight out of both stances. I liked it. I mentioned this last time. I like that he grabs hands and then like pulls and wraps around it. He also grabs hands to find range. Really controls hands and close. I love that. Uh, will attack, switching stances and mid combo to get different angles. Very high output. Can be a, can be too high output. Can be too aggressive and wild sometimes. Lose a little technique in those exchanges. Uh, um, and he'll kind of just wing shots when he's getting wild. And he leaves his he leaves his chin open when he does that. But due to his due to his size, he has that like tall man strength where you know he gets I don't think like better whip or or torque or something, but he uh, he he can put you out if he lands. Uh he doesn't like be uh being pressed. 
back on his back foot, but when he's moving forward, he's a dangerous man. I like his step in these solid takedown defense. If he's taken down, he's he's attacking with submissions, triangles, arm bars. You go back to the regional scene, he showed that he can go five rounds, so cardio should be no issue for three rounds. So as far as prediction goes, I like both fighters, but I'm really high on Bahamondes. He just has these raw gifts, especially his size, that you just can't match. And he flows well on the feet. I say Bahamani's catch is wrong with a big haymaker. I'll say he does it in the second round. Bahamani's my second round TKO. Yeah, I mean, as far as the X's and O's go, you, you've laid it out there. There are still questions about uh, about wrong just as UFC ready at this point. And if he truly is 21, or, or hell, even if he truly is 23 or 24, he's got time that he could wash out of here, go fight, you know, in Asia or, you know, for a now, now he's training it at ATT, I believe. So, you know, fight for like Titan or LFA or, or something and come back to the UFC in his mid to late twenties and, you know, still have a run. So the jury is still out on him. Jury's not out on bomb on this. Like he has a ton of upside for all the reasons you mentioned. And he has a certain amount of poise and killer instinct. Like the Roosevelt Roberts, Knockout. Obviously, it was a shortlister for knockout of the year. One of the nicer uh, wheel kicks you'll see. But I love how he basically called his own shot there because that knockout came with five seconds left in that fight. He was all he already had to know he was seconds away from winning a decision like 10 or 15 seconds out. He had Roberts up against the cage with a pretty good guillotine sunk in. He's I mean, he's tall enough that he can guillotine a guy without even like bending down. He just cut like. He had it. If he wanted to, he could have just stalled out the last 10 seconds. He could have just dropped back for the guillotine. But instead, he lets go, he shoves him off, and he throws a wheel kick that just ices him. And I'm pretty sure it won him 50000 bucks. That's what, you know, I, I like to see in an up-and-coming prospect. Uh, and I'm with you here. He's going to be way too much for Wrong. Like, even the very best version of Wrong, I think Bob Mondes is, is, is going to piece him up. Uh, give me Bob Mondes by second round knockout. I don't know if it'll be anything quite so sassy as a spinning wheel kick, but uh, he, he's going he's gonna to hurt him. He's going to put him down, and, and this thing will be over. We stay in the lightweight division for a matchup between Armin Sarukian and Joel Alvarez. A fight that, honestly, I'm mildly surprised it didn't fall apart when Darius dropped out because there was every chance that they could have called Sarukian up for a rematch with uh, with Islam Makachev or even given uh, Alvarez his shot since he's one of the brighter prospects in uh, the UFC. But instead, we get this fight, we get to keep it, and it is a sensational matchup between two of the... I, I want to call them up-and-comers because they're both just in their 20s, but we're talking about guys that, you know, have 20 fights apiece. Uh, Sarukian, 25-year-old, he is ethnically Armenian, born in Georgia, raised in Russia, fighting out of Florida. How's that for a world traveler? 17-2 uh, overall, 4-1 and one in the UFC. He lost his UFC debut to Islam Makachev, and why would you even do that to a man? Since then, he's been perfect, uh, beating Olivier Aubin-Mercier, Davi Hamos, Matt Frivola, and most recently, last September at UFC Fight Night Smith versus Fan, Christos Yagos, whom he knocked out in the first round. He'll be taking on Alvarez, the 28-year-old Spaniard, 
is 19 and 2 overall, and he also is 4 and 1 in the UFC. He also lost his UFC debut. Uh, his was to Demir Ismagulov, which, again, why would you do that to a man debuting in the UFC? Since then, has been perfect, taking uh, out Danilo Belwardo, Joseph Duffy, Alexander Yakovlev, and most recently, uh, last November at UFC Fight Night, Holloway versus Rodriguez, Tiago Moises, whom he knocked out in the first round. Uh, Sarukian, a comfortable favorite here. He is minus 350. Alvarez available at plus 280. I mean, Keith, I would say that both these guys have top 10 upside. I would say that Sarukian on his talent and on the eyeball test is arguably a top 10 quality fighter right now. Whereas Alv with Alvarez, you can just kind of see it in him. But uh, who do you see taking this fight? And I mean, it sound it feels weird to say, but how close is the winner of this fight to kind of the general title picture? At, at That's a tough question. So Sarukin has a lot more buzz. I mean, you can tell by the lines. And so I think he would be much closer than Alvarez. But if Alvarez starches Tiago Moises and then follows it up with a win of Sarukian, I mean, he can put some respect on his name. Uh, I love this matchup. This It's so intriguing based on their raw styles, uh, especially like Alvarez, the, the, the physical tools. We just talked about Biomondes being tall and lengthy. There's just things that Alvarez is born with that are tricky. Uh, that you have to get by, and and that's why it's such a tough test for Sarukin. It's one that's flying underneath the radar. Now Sarukin, I just, I just love this dude. I mean, he's he he's so good. He's very athletic. He's so fluid. Fast hands. Stays everything tight inside. Really good at slipping punches, but keep himself, you know, completely pulling away. Keep himself in the pocket to land shots. Attacks the body. Uh, we, we keep talking about how young he is. Like, every time we break down his fight, like, he's young and he should be coming into his power. Well, his power showed up in his last fight. Uh, he, he, can, he can crack uh, good calf kicks, throws um, a lot of – he throws spinning taxes to make it fun. He's an incredible wrestler, both body lock and trips inside the clinch, great timing and quick entries uh, on the outside, great reactionary double, great at winning scrambles. I keep using great. I'm not exaggerating. Everything's great. And uh, he, he's really is a great grappler. I mean, it's, you know, going back a little bit, but Dale gra grappled with Davi Hamos, who is an Abu Dhabi champion. Like, that should, that should tell you everything you want to know about Sarukian when it comes to the ground. Now, move over to Alvarez. So, Alvarez doesn't have all the tools that Sarukian has, but we, like you mentioned, he has these just gifts of size, long length. And he's, he looked so sharp in his last fight. Uh, he, he's got some defensive things he needs to fix. He stands a little tall for my liking. He drops his hands. However, his offensive tools are, are, are really nice. Very busy on the feet. Throws really accurate, crisp strikes down the pipe. Very good jab. Nice kicks. Uh, if you get inside with him now, like that was the game plan, get inside of him, you get away from his long reach. Well, you get inside him now, if like Tiago Moses did, and you get butchered your face up on the inside. Uh, he's also a legit submission threat. Uh, I love his guillotine. I mean, he caught Joe Duffy in a submission. Uh, just some of the things I like about this. So as far as prediction goes, 
this is really this is an incredible fight. I love Alvarez. He's he's well rounded. He has like I mentioned, he has those raw physical tools. He also has some technically sound tools. Alvarez looks like he's a future top fifteen guy. However, it, I well let me say this. However, I originally thought the line was uh, dissing Alvarez, but how big a favorite Sorokin is. But the line is just projecting how good he is. Because while Alvarez might look like a future top 15 guy, Sorokin looks like a future champion. Like, he's he's that good. Uh, I think he gets inside. I think he unloads combinations. I think I expect him to get a lot of takedowns, chain wrestle takedowns, land hard ground and pound. I think Sorokin's going to put up a few 10-8 rounds before getting a submission late in the fight. Give me Sorokin by third round sub. Yeah, uh, not going to be a whole lot of dissension here. Alvarez has a fantastic skill set, and he does have the gift of just his physicality and size. It might be a little too much of a gift, as he missed weight for his last fights. Uh, he missed weight for the Tiago Moises fight, which is the only thing that tarnished what should have been the breakout performance of his career, uh, just you know, blasting a, a top-ten fighter. I, I forgot about it. That's yeah. how good his performance in the cage was. I forgot about it. I mean, at worst, as this guy pushes, you know, into his 30s, maybe we see him at welterweight. He would not be a terribly undersized welterweight because he's six feet tall, you know, where uh, Ignacio Bamondes is 6'1", but Alvarez is built differently than, you know, than than Bamondes. Bamondes is long and gangly. Alvarez is like like broad shoulders and like muscle on his on his chest and, and arms. That he just looks huge for uh, for lightweights, but. I'm with you. Like, Sarukian is just unbelievable. He does everything well. His only loss in, like, his last 18 fights was that unanimous decision to Islam Makachev. And what lost in the fight was that Makachev took him down in all three rounds, held him down in all three rounds, didn't really have him in a ton of trouble, just kind of beat him, neutralized him. He couldn't stop uh, Makachev's takedowns, despite the fact that he himself is a very good wrestler. But we're going to be talking about Makachev in a minute. And the fact that Basically, nobody can stop Makachev's takedowns if he wants you down. It is going to be a central point of conversation there. I, I'm with you. Like, Sarukian has title upside, and he has it in the near future. The only thing really stopping him is how crowded it is ahead of him with, you know, some of the best pound-for-pound -pound fighters in the sport. Luckily, he has time. He is 25? Yeah, 25. Uh, this is going to be a fantastic performance for him, I, I think, because... Everything else being equal, even if Alvarez like puts up a great fight, Sarukian is uh, he's going to turn like he's already turning out to be a bit of a builder who like wears down his opponents. So I could see him also getting Alvarez tired and either getting like 10 8 rounds like going away or even finding a finish in the late rounds. I'm not picking the finish here. I think Alvarez is, is that good, but give me Sarukian by a, a one sided decision. Third from the top at UFC Vegas 49, at least as currently scheduled, is a flyweight matchup between Ji Yeon Kim and Priscilla Cachoeira. Kim, the 32-year-old South Korean, is 9-4-2 overall. She is 3-4 since joining the UFC as the outgoing Deep Jewels Bantamweight champ. Uh, keep that Bantamweight part in mind because in her seven UFC fights, she's already missed weight twice. Uh, she comes into this fight on a two-fight losing streak those being uh, a unanimous decision against Alexa Grasso back in August of 2020, and then most recently, a unanimous decision lost to Molly McCann at UFC Fight Night Brunson versus Till last September. 
she is taking on Cachoeira. The 33-year-old Brazilian is 10-4 and four overall. She is 2-4 and four in the UFC. Uh, one of those, about as excusable as they get, as she stepped up on stepped up on late notice to be Valentina Shevchenko's debut opponent at 125 right after the division was formed. Obviously, that was one of the worst beatdowns of 2018. Then lost her next two against uh, Molly McCann and Luana Carolina. Was not cut from there. Turned it around with two straight wins. Uh, two knockout wins, in fact, over Shayna Dobson and Gina Mazzani. Then she lost her last fight uh, against Jillian Robertson. That was last December at UFC 269. She got choked out with just seconds left in the first round uh, and missed weight for that fight as well. I mentioned there are three fighters on the main card here who missed weight in their last fight. There's three of them. And then Kim, who didn't miss weight her last fight, but has missed weight twice in her last four or five. Uh, so anyone's guess whether this one actually takes place at flyweight. If it does, or even if it doesn't, Kim actually is a moderate favorite here, at least uh, as of right now. She's minus 190. Cachoeira available at plus 160. Keith, this is third from the top of a UFC card, and I'm probably going to have the loser of this fight on, on my cut list. I mean, it's a three and four woman and a two and four woman in, in the UFC. I, I, sell me this fight and tell me who you think wins. <laughs> I, I might have the winner on the cut list. <laughs> so, uh, so I want to address this. I don't think Priscilla Cachoeira should be in the UFC besides missing weight in her last fight. Let's not forget what she did to Jillian Robinson when Jillian Robinson was submitting her. And it wasn't accidental because she did it two or three times where she was two of the most eye gouges. Eye gouges. Yeah, yeah. And besides being dirty, like the kind of damage you could do to somebody, it, it, terrible. And, and she should have been punished, and she shouldn't be in the UFC playing. So, yeah. anyways, yeah. Yuki Nakai has entered the chat. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So, as as far as her skill set, she's a very aggressive striker. She's not very technically sound. She kind of she drops her hands and kind of just. Uh, she keeps, she drops her hands and keeps her chin in the air, but she throws power shots. She's constantly plodding forward, uh, tends to chase her opponent instead of coming off the cage. But she's a brawler when she gets in the pocket. She has the power to land and hurt. We saw it, you mentioned it against two different fighters. Uh, she she almost kind of like ducks her head and swings. Uh, very very like pride Vandalay Silva. Um, she but she showed against Shana Dobson and Gina Mazzani what she can do. Uh, she will look for a takedown, but she isn't a wrestler. But surprisingly, she's a decent grappler, though she was submitted by Jalen Robson, who's a really good grappler. Yeah, I shouldn't say really good, but a, a very, pretty good grappler. Um, but like, she can take a beating. I mean, when we go back to the Shevchenko fight, like she showed heart in that fight. Now move over to Kim. Kim's a high volume striker who has some holes in her in her game. Flat footed, stands very tall kind of slow she does hit hard or not catch very hard but she's i'd say she has plus power uh and she also likes to throw down in the pocket she's willing to eat a punch to land a, a better strike but she is a she's a head hunter so she does running kicks uh, she showed that she has a pretty good chin uh as alexa grasso was teeing off on her and she did keep coming keep marching forward um, but but um she was out-muscled in the clinch by Alexa Grasso, which is really not Alexa Grasso's game. She has weak takedown defense. She was 
out-wrestled by Antonina Shevchenko, which is never a good sign. I, I didn't say Valentina. I said Antonina. Um, but she does have three submissions. So as far as the prediction goes, uh, I don't think Kim should be a massive favorite. Like, I feel like this really should be a pick em. I'm not high on either of these fighters. I think they're both bottom of the barrel. Uh, I can't believe I'm doing this, though. I'm taking Catch Aware and upset. I, I think she hits harder. I think she's the better wrestler. I think she's physically stronger. I think she's meaner. Um, uh, clearly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. Uh, and it, honestly, when this fight got matched, it was more of just a gut call. Uh, so give me Catch Aware by ugly split decision. This is why I need to start going first on these. Anytime <laughs> I think I'm going to like sneak in an upset pick and make you wish that you'd made it, you've you've stolen them from me tonight. Uh, I, I'm with you for the, the reasons you mentioned. Just Kashuera has shown more signs of life in her last couple fights than Kim has. Kim just looks like someone who could have cruised out of the UFC before now, but is just kind of idling along because it's women's flyweight. But between the two of them and you know, between the two of them, they're a collective, what, five and eight in the UFC. Cashewater is the only one that has a win over somebody that's actually still in the UFC or is still, like, undeniably UFC quality in Gina Mazzani. The rest of them, they're gone. You know, Shana Dobson might on, be hold soon. On, hold, on, hold on, hold on. Did you say undoubtedly UFC quality and then say Gina Mazzani? She didn't get cut, did she? No, no, I just thought that was funny. You say undeniably. Uh, she, she's the class she of the class. The UFC, but I don't know yeah. if she's undeniably UFC quality. Well, she's more so than Nadia Kassem or Melinda Fabian or okay. Justine Kish, who fights at Bellator this weekend. Okay, uh, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. No. I, I just say, like, by the low standards of, again, this is probably a pink slip derby, although you can never be sure in this division. I, I think Cashwater has shown a little more signs of life, and I, I'm with you. Give me Cashwater by ugly decision in probably an ugly fight, and this might be it for, for Kim. The co-main event of UFC Fight Night 202 is a middleweight matchup between Misha Serkinov and Wellington Terman. Serkinov, the 34-year-old Latvian by way of Canada, by way of Las Vegas, is 15-7 and seven overall. He is 6-5 and five in the UFC and is on a two-fight losing streak, those being a first-round knockout loss to Ryan Spann at UFC Fight Night Edwards versus Muhammad last March, then a split decision loss to Christoph Yatko at UFC Fight Night Santos versus Walker in October that also represented uh, Serkinov's debut at middleweight in the UFC where he had habitually been a light heavyweight. That didn't go his way, but apparently he saw enough upside in it that he is going to continue uh, in the 185-pound division. Across the cage from him will be Terman, the 25-year-old Brazilian by way of Connecticut, so I already know which way Keith is going to be picking this fight, is 17-5 and five overall. He is 2-3 and three in the UFC. He did win his last time out. It was a split decision over Sam Alvey at UFC on ESPN Barboza versus Chikadze last August. That allowed him to put the brakes on the first two-fight losing streak of his UFC run, two back-to-back -back first round knockouts at the hands of Andrew Sanchez and Bruno Silva. Uh, the odds slightly favor Serkinov here. He is minus 120, Terman is plus 100, so even money at least as of, you know, the week before fight week. Keith, I said this off the top, 
I'll say it again now, as UFC co-main events go, you don't see one very often that is a very possible pink slip derby. Two guys that the the loser of this fight, unless there are some weirdly extenuating circumstances, certainly going to be on my cut list. And there's a good chance they'll be on the UFC's cut list. And in both cases, I think it's warranted. Serkinov, because he's 34, and I had to check that because I figured he'd be like 37 or 38, just because he seems so much to be a fighter in physical decline. And he's doing the drop down in weight in my mid-30s thing that unless you're Jose Aldo, Frankie Edgar, or Randy Couture is almost never the answer to your problems. He's, he's looking like a, a guy that's probably on his way out. And then in Terman, a guy who is so young and is just finally getting with like a really good team, you know, in, in Glover Teixeira, that if he got cut and went and won a couple fights in like CFFC or, uh, you know, CES or, you know, hell, uh, LFA or something, and went back to the UFC after some more seasoning, he'd still have plenty of time to make another run at it. Uh, Serkinov, at his best, because he debuted in the UFC, I think, with three straight, yeah, three straight submissions, or no, four straight finishes, three of them submissions, one knockout. You know, one was a submission of Alex Nicholson, for which, you know, he'll, he'll always be a hero on some level. He'll always have that. But in, especially like, Ion Kudalaba and Nikita Krylov, two top 10 or future, at least top 10 level guys and just looked like a world beater. And he had that judo thing where, yeah, I've got great chokes and I've got just ridiculous core strength in the clinch for trips and throws, but I'm just one of those judo guys that has natural, just brutal power in my hands. They just, they have it for some reason. Then he hit his ceiling against the, you know, the real best of the best. Uzdemir Teixeira, but he started to fall off really quickly too. Like, he has slowed down. He still has incredible strength, but he just doesn't seem to be able to get into positions to really leverage it uh, that often. Uh, and his chin, like all of a sudden he's real easy to hurt, which is a problem because he's never been a great striker defensively. He was always a weighed in and swing guy. And that worked until it didn't. It is not working now. Uh, his, I mean, his win against Jimmy Crute, that uh, sassy submission but they fight 10 times. It does not look like that, you know, like any of the other times that they do this. I, I And yet he's fighting someone in tournament. Like, I keep thinking that Terman must have more upside and must have more potential because he looks like a UFC middleweight and he's so young. He's got to be getting better, especially he's training with Glover Teixeira. And the fact remains that he's been in the UFC now for going on three years and his wins in the UFC or over Marcus Perez, gone. Sam Alvey, gone. And neither of them was especially, ins neither of them was especially inspiring. Wait, Sam Alvey's gone? Yeah, Sam Alvey's cut. I didn't, man, my life has been so busy. I didn't even know that. Wow. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have blamed you for not checking. Like everybody assumed they had, I'm, I'm, they're going to let him lose an, an even 10, right? You know, <laughs> but, no, but that was one of the ones where, like Alvy was kind of right to be mad, but just neither guy really came out and put their stamp on that fight. But yeah, his, his wins are over two guys, not in the UFC. He didn't look that great in either of those fights. And the rest of them, he, he just hasn't shown much. 
Like he has all he has all the individual skills. He's a, a decent striker until he fights a better striker. He's a decent grappler until he fights a better grappler. I think even this version of Serkinov like has enough to get it done against uh, Terman. Like Terman could certainly catch him. It, it only takes one to put Serkinov on roller skates now, and he does not have the recoverability he used to have. So I'm I'm saying right now that I think Serkinov is going to win a unanimous decision. But if Terman knocks him out in 45 seconds, like that would be my my second likeliest outcome of this fight. If you ask ask me for like my top five ranked outcomes of this fight, that's number two is Serkinov just gets lamped and I look like yeah. an idiot for picking him. But I I, I'm going to, I'm going to take that risk. Uh, I, I think, you know, Serkinov is going to, and if Serkinov wins, this is going to be a dreadful fight to watch because that means Serkinov won't be brawling. He will be looking to close the distance. He will be too strong there for a Terman to get to the ground. So it's going to be either just getting mauled in the clinch or Serkinov taking Terman down and camping out on top. And yeah, give me Serkinov by decision. And I'm almost hoping I'm wrong. Yeah, so it's funny you talk about Serkinov. Remember when Serkinov was like the big thing? Like he was the next future of light heavyweight. He was going to be the guy to beat John Jones. And man, did that change so quick from that moment, like five years ago to four or five years ago to fighting Wellington Terman for his job. It, it's crazy how quick things go. Uh, but hey, it's Serkinov, a coming event. And a coming, yeah, it's just, that's a good <laughs> part, I guess. Uh, yeah, which we, for a second, we thought it was almost the main event. Uh, um, so Serkinov, Southpaw, I thought you were being nice when you gave him some skills on the feet. I, I think he's very limited on the feet. I think his striking is just plain and ugly. Uh, his hands are slow. He throws a lot of single strikes. You mentioned, he said he steps back, uh, not a, not a big output, uh, but he's very – I still think he's very physically strong. He has that judo black belt background, uh, some good trips, good good takedown defense. Um, I think his entries have slowed, but he has a legit submission threat. He's got eight subs. Uh, his last five wins have come by sub. But you mentioned it. The big worry I – the two big worries I have is – not skills, it's those attributes, and that's his chin right now as he's been cracked. Even when he hasn't been knocked out, he's been hurt. And I'm worried about his gas tank. Plain and simply, he's too muscular for 185. He was gassing against Jocko. And if I was a teammate or a manager or a friend or something of Serkinov, and he really wanted to extend his career and to move away class when he was at two, I would have told him, to, yeah, you're pointing up, I would have told him to go up to heavyweight. Not doubt, I mean, especially the way he fights. Uh, but yeah. so before I get determined, let me tell you some. Let me tell you some background on how I how I kind of do do the fights. Like I don't do a full. I, I just can't. You can't watch every single fighter, entire career. You know, there's 14 fights. You can't watch 28 careers in one week time. You know, from this card until the next card. So what I do is I kind of take I kept notes on fighters and then I try to watch their last fight and and update my notes from that point and then mix them up a little bit try to uh, see what is they what what has shown like there's a note I had that's showing more of something I said they were bad at but that maybe they've improved and I adjust his last fight was against uh, was Sam Alvey right mm -hmm. so this is what I did I said well I refuse to watch this any Sam Alvey fights anymore. 
So my notes are going to be the same exact notes. Listen, I didn't do any tape study for well and determined for this fight. I just want to be honest with all listeners. Uh, what, so if, if you remember what I said about Sam Alvey, I'm saying it again. Uh, he's a 25-year-old who's aggressive. He loves the uh, pocket boxing match, though he doesn't really rechamber his, his face. He kind of does a scooping thing where he, he brings his hands back. Uh, uh, doesn't bring his hands back. He leaves them open for a counter. He's got some real snap on his punches, though um, he does throw power shots every time. He has some huge tells by loading up on every shot. Uh, he mixes punches and kicks well together, though. He throws a lot of kicks. He also throws the occasional spinning attack. He's a good grappler. Uh, before being knocked out by Bruno Silva, he was out grappling Bruno Silva. But I'm also worried about his chin as after being brutally knocked out by Andrew Sanchez. Um, <laughs> I got to change, not his last fight, but he was knocked out by Andrew Sanchez and Bruno uh, San, uh, Sanchez recently. As far as prediction goes, oh, God, I'm so on the fence. And I just – I don't want to pick either guy. Uh, I'm I'm taking Serkinov against my best judgment. Just simply, I can't pick someone right now who almost lost to Sam Alvey. Uh, I think Serkinov's going to get the fight to the ground. I don't think he's going to get a submission because just from and, – and this is a little bit of like osmosis. You grapple with Glover Teixeira all the time. I'm going to assume you're going to be really hard to submit because – me and you talk about how criminal, which is crazy. He's a champion submitting guys, but how criminally underrated Glover Teixeira's ground game has been for about a decade now. Um, you know, they're just killers, a bunch of Brazilian killers in that gym doing jiu-jitsu all day. Uh, but, I mean, Circumference is weird. I just, I'm delaying my pick because I don't, you know, give me Circumference <laughs> in the, the most boring, ugly Gassed out. I, you know, Serkinov wins the first two rounds, loses the third round, holds on to an ugly decision where we're debating who won. Give me Serkinov by decision. That brings us to the uh, makeshift co- or sorry, makeshift main event of UFC Vegas 49, a lightweight matchup between Islam Makachev and Bobby Green, who is going to turn around on what will end up having been two weeks notice or, or two weeks turnaround from his successful appearance at UFC 271. Uh, he jumps in to save the card and pick up another check. Makachev, 30-year-old Dagestani by way of American Kickboxing Academy, 21-1 and one overall. He is 10-1 and one in the UFC. He's on a nine-fight winning streak since his only career loss, which was a first-round knockout by Adriano Martins, all the way back in October of 2015. Since then, nine straight. The last couple of them against top 15, if not top 10-level guys in Drew Dober, then Tiago Moises, then Dan Hooker. Uh, all three of those sub- were submission wins for uh, Makachev, and I believe... Neither Hooker nor Moises had ever been submitted before. So incredibly impressive stuff the man is doing. He's a lot of observers have thought of him as a future champ for quite some time now. Honestly, the only thing standing in his way appeared to be the fact that his primary training partner and mentor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, was the man on the mountain. Nurmagomedov removed that. Uh, obstacle by retiring and apparently sticking with it. And if Makachev were fighting for a title already without having to win this fight, I don't think many would be complaining about it, but this is almost certainly a title eliminator, at least for him. 
He had been scheduled to take on Benil Dariush in what would have been an incredible matchup. It would have been his nine-fight win streak against Dariush's seven-fight win streak, a fantastic clash of styles between the wrestler and fantastic submission artist in Makachev versus the decorated Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and a powerful striker in Dariush. We don't get that. An injury to Darius has pushed him off the card. Rather than push this fight down the road, the UFC brings in Green, a man who is fresh off one of the better performances of his career. Uh, he was at UFC 271 two weeks ago, took a unanimous decision over Nazarat Hakparast in which he just boxed him up uh, for three straight rounds and made him look increasingly frustrated and ineffective. The 35-year-old Californian is 29-12-1 over the course of a well-traveled career. He is 10-7-1 since joining the UFC out of the acquisition of Strike Force back in 2010 or 2011. Uh, he is on a two-fight win streak, those being a first-round knockout of Ally Aquinta last November at UFC 268 uh, and the aforementioned win over Hackprest on February 12th. When Keith and I started recording this show about... Uh, two and a half hours ago. There were not yet odds on this fight. There are now odds. Makachev minus 800, Green plus 500 as of Wednesday the 16th. So, you know, about 10 days out from fight night. The line is probably going to get wider before it gets narrower. It's, you know, uh, people are jumping on the square money already, apparently. Uh, but yeah, overwhelming uh, favorite is Makachev going into this. Man, I'll you know I'll I'll get off the the path here uh, a little bit. In all my time that I've spent covering mixed martial arts, and I'd say all my time as as a fan, but certainly all my time covering mixed martial arts in person, from the smallest local events in bars all the way up to the UFC, you know, big. UFC uh, pay-per-views. There's only twice that I have flipped my pick on a fight just based on the intangible energy that a fighter was giving off during fight week. Once was Lando Venata last summer at UFC 262. The other time was Bobby Green uh, this past week. Because when Keith and I recorded the preview for 271, I think I said, Green's the more skilled fighter, but this is exactly the kind of fight that he'll find a way to lose by split decision. Just admire his work too much, a little too much dancing, not enough punching the guy, other guy in the face and he'll lose a split decision and look like confused and upset at the end when he really doesn't have anyone to blame but himself. I changed my mind on that after a couple days of seeing Green and hearing him talk. He just, he's still the fighter he always was in terms of skill set, but he just seems on a different level of, of seriousness. And uh, it played out that way. Like he didn't play around. Uh, and he put on a fantastic performance against against Hackparast. His tools, he has some of the best hands in the lightweight division. Uh, something I tweeted out on fight night at UFC 271, I, I said, the nicest thing I can say about Bobby Green is that his hands are as fast as he thinks they are. Because, you know, he's a guy, he's got that Purnell Whitaker stance. The hands are down around his waist. He uses head movement almost exclusively to evade punches. You know, really likes to slip and then send those counters kind of coming up at his opponents, uh, and at his best, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It's been at its best in his last couple of fights. He can kick, doesn't do it very often. He is a former uh, 
junior college wrestling standout. We don't see that as often as we could. It's one of the more underused elite tools in uh, in the UFC. I'm I'm not saying it's Justin Gaethje's leg leg kicks, but you know it, it is definitely uh, an underused tool. He got good takedown defense. Like not many people have been able to take him down and keep him down. Unfortunately, again against Makachev, against Makachev, it almost doesn't matter how good his opponent's takedown defense is. He's very much like Khabib that way. Like, you know, when when you know when guy when guys fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, I I almost admire them for just going out playing their game. Like if you kick, throw your kicks. You know, because Trying to avoid the takedown is just delaying the inevitable. And Makachev brings a lot of the same energy here. Uh, the thing about Makachev is he already has what took uh, Nurmagomedov a long time to develop. Because Nurmagomedov, early in his career, came off as a little bit of just kind of a lay and pray artist. Like, he'd take people down and he'd win a decision. But, you know, towards the end there, he was taking down and just tapping out elite fighters on the ground. Just advancing position effortlessly while punching him in the face and just giving him that choose your poison thing. Like, I've got a leg right on you against the fence. I'm going to keep punching you in the face until you do something about that. Then I'll move around to the back and try to take your neck. If you counter that, I'm going to go back to punching you in the face. Makachev's already got that. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love to be able to give you some reason that there's great value on green at plus 500 or plus 600, which you might be, you know, 24 hours from now. But Green's got good power, but if if you watch the uh, the Adriano Martinez fight where uh, Makachev just got lamped by a single punch, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Green doesn't really have that in him. Martinez doesn't really have that in him anymore. That's it's not like he was a guy with a history of lamping people with one punch, but. That was nine fights ago. Makachev has so, shown no chin issue since then. He's gotten much better at taking care of himself on the feet since then. This is going to be an Islam Makachev fight. Like, Green will probably have some some success on the feet in the early going. You know, I think Makachev is smart enough not to just do the Ben Askren thing and just dive straight for a takedown in the first five seconds. Like, I'm I'm sure, you know, he'll he'll time it. But once he wants to get Green down, if not on the first try... If not on the second try, on the third try, he will. He's, you know, he's a, a grinder. He's a builder. He's someone who wears down his opponents. Again, very much like uh, his mentor that way. And especially on, on this turnaround, I, I don't know how much weight Green will need to cut. I don't know, you know, where his gas tank will be for what I'm pretty sure is going to be a five-round fight just two weeks after a three-round fight. But I expect that Makachev is probably going to find a submission in the fourth or fifth round just on an, a, a valiant but exhausted and beat-up green. So give me Makachev, and I'm going to say fourth-round submission. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. I was I was trying to look up. I, I don't know if you said this, but uh, it's one, it's a 160-pound catch weight fight. Did you see that? Did you say that? I did not. I did okay, not. So 160-pound catch weight fight? It is, and and the reason why it's 160 is just because of how big Bobby Green's balls are. <laughs> in the extra five pounds, because you know we 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 were giving all the credit to the UFC, but let's give some credit to Bobby Green. You want to take a fight against a guy that nobody wants to fight, and you're going to take it on 10 days' notice 
after you just fought against a tough dude in Nasrallah Kakbaras. Uh, dude, he, Bobby Green is a man. Um, and he just, I understand what you're saying. All these stylistic matches, it's a tough, tough, I mean, it's a, it's a tough match for anybody, but especially for Bobby Green. Uh, but he he seemed like a fan favorite in, in Houston, which was really weird. It's suddenly a kind of a mid-card guy, never really got too much buzz, becomes a fan favorite in a place that he's not from. There's no connection. But, it's uh, like Jorge Masvidal. Yeah, and he's going to be even a bigger fan now. Um, and if he can full, pull off a upset, I mean, it, 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 it's a breakout star potential. You're going to see Bobby Green all over the place. Now, uh, everything you're saying about Makachev is so is so right. So we talked about, like, my notes. I took out his knockout loss because so long ago. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to – I was kept mentioning a couple fights ago. I'm like, I'm not going to mention more. It's just really irrelevant at this point. Because uh, he hasn't shown even signs of being hurt, uh, he's a southpaw who's really well-rounded. He used to be one-dimensional. That's not the case. He's he's elusive. He has fast hands. He uses feints well to set up his shots. Uh, his counter left hand is his best strike. He throws lots of kicks. When he gets inside, he likes the dirty box. And you mentioned it. It don't matter how good you take down defenses. He's an elite wrestler. Whether he gets on inside and he throws out like a beautiful foot sweep, or if he's shooting entries, he chain. I mean, they're lightning fast. He chains takedowns together so well. Uh, he's great at winning scrambles. Uh, I, I this is one I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to take out of my notes for a really long time. His scrambles against Sarukian, just the two of them battling scrambles, is. is like NCAA Division One wrestling finals level. It's that fun and exciting if you're into that. And incredible takedown defense, though not many people are going to be trying to take him down. If he's on top, smothering top control, solid ground and pound. Uh, he, I mean, y- you see like a good grappler in Tiago Moises and what he's done in grappling, and he was mauled on the ground easily by Makashev going to Dan Hooker, which obviously Dan Hooker is not known for his, uh, you know, high level BJJ or anything like that, but he ran right through a top 10 guy in Dan Hooker and then easily controlled him and easily submitted him beautifully. The guy's just rolling right now. Now, Bobby Green, everything you said, fights out of both stances, throws from different angles, throws from his hips. So he, he, does a lot of things that it is hard to adjust to his style, especially on 10 days notice. So this is a big change from Vanille Darius to Bobby Green. So we got to give Makachev credit for that. Like he could have went the route and said, no, I'm not going to fight a guy like that. Uh, I'm not going to, I was training for someone else. He didn't do that. So obviously we're all talking about Bobby Green. Credit to Makachev too. Uh, Bobby Green is confusing and, and you mentioned his head movement, but not just, the way he moves his head, but the way he moves his shoulders, he rolls with punches. So even if you hit him, you don't really hit him clean. And he deflects a lot of stuff with his shoulders, very boxing Philly shells type style where you're using your shoulder as um, almost like a shield. Um, and he's fast. You mentioned it. He's got fast hands, fasting and jab. He's one of the rare people who can strike while backing up. He's, he's throwing elbows inside, which I love. You see this mean streak in him. But the biggest thing of this turnaround of Bobby Green is changing his mindset. We've always talked about Bobby Green as a guy that played down to his competition or cruised or had that mindset. If I'm not getting hit, I'm winning. 
very similar to what we talked about, a guy like uh, Jorge Masvidal. But that's not the thing. He's changed his mindset where it's now it's an offensive mindset, especially his last fight against Hawkbars. That was the one that really jumped out to me that, no, he understands how the game works. And, yeah, you can block and move all your time, but that's that's being a, a football player and making a tackle. You don't get any points for making a tackle. You got to put the, the ball in the end zone. He's starting to see that and landing shots and, and throwing combinations more and and, and – We've always said for years how dangerous he'd be if he just picked up his output, and now we're seeing it. His output against Hawkeyes was beautiful. And then you go and talk about his wrestling. I didn't write down his offensive wrestling more, but we're not going to see him offensive wrestling. But he's got good defensive wrestling. Um, so I like that. He's hard to take down. So as far as prediction goes, though, I just talked about how much I love Bobby Green and all these things he does. I like Bobby Green, but Makachev is just a different animal right now. And I understand the comparisons you're making to him versus in Habib Nurmagomedov. It's such an unfair comparison because you're comparing him to, in my eyes, probably the most dominant fight I've ever seen. Not the greatest based on the longevity, but I mean, pure prime dominance. Habib's the best I've ever seen. So it's an unfair comparison. But it's such an easy comparison because they're so similar. And not just they're both Dagestan, not they both have the 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 beards and, and, Fordard, and every, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not just all that and mentor, but it fits in what they do. And especially the run, you mentioned the run you said you know, the run that he's going on was like prime Habib run. And that's really what you have. Uh and it feels that way. When Habib was coming up, every Every time he took a step up in competition, somehow he looked more like better, more impressive. And that's what Makashev is doing right now. I mean, you go from what he did to Drew Dober, and then uh, I think it was Moises, and then it was uh, Hooker, and he got better and looked, I mean, beating better competition every time. And I just think that's going to happen again. You're saying this fight's going deep. I'm actually going to go a lot earlier. I think he's going to get the fight to the canvas. I was. Going back and forth, well, he finds a submission in the first round and second round. Bobby Green is so freaking tough. Uh, I originally wrote first round sub. I'm gonna change it to I'm gonna to the second round. Give me Makachev by second round submission. All right, there you got it. And I mean, you mentioned that it's unfair to compare Makachev to uh, to and, the and I do it too. I yeah. come at you. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's, it's, but one thing that he has had in common with Nurmagomedov over the last few years, and it's not a positive thing, is absences, hiatuses, not being there. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who fought once in 2016, once in 2017, and not at all in 2020. He fought three That's times good. last year, and he's fighting in the middle of February now, which means unless he has to like wait on a title shot or something, he's on pace to fight at least three times this year. That was the only piece that really needed to fall into place. Same as it, same as for Khabib, just... You know, he was never around enough to, you know, climb the rankings without other people like passing him like a slow car in the left lane. I mean, don't don't be surprised if he his management came to some agreement. We talked about how bad I, I was saying how bad it is, you know, badass, I should say it is for him to take a fight with Bobby Green. Don't put it past you that if he wins this fight, his next fight is for the time, especially if he dominates, like push Bobby Green out early. That might be negotiated in the in the contract to fight Bobby Green. I would have expected that if he'd beaten Dariush convincingly, oh, 
that he'd be headed to a title shot. I think he what still might is, be here. But what is it? I mean, How, who else could could skip the, him? Yeah, there, there there isn't anybody. You know, not once uh, Gaethje and uh, Oliveira get their their business done. Like to me, he, I mean, obviously, guy. obviously, you have Conor McGregor. I think the uh, Conor McGregor trump card is obviously it's always there, but it's not not as usable as it used to be. The only per- I was like, what I was gonna say, the trump card to pass pass go past everybody. Yeah. The only fighter that has that at 155, in my opinion, is the guy who left with the belt, Habib Nurmagomedov. But I really don't don't believe he's ever fighting again. No, I I think you're right. You know, I. Hey, and I don't, the, Habib is such a loyal person. I don't think he'd do that to Islam anyways. No, no like honestly, if Khabib comes back, I think call. I th- I think it's this I think or it's this year if Oliver just trashes Makachev and then cuts some gnarly promo on the mic, maybe Khabib comes back. But I don't think that's happening. If he comes back, it's probably a welterweight. <laughs> I don't think he comes back. And then I guess I I mean. I guess he. I mean, if you're going really, I guess maybe George St. Pierre. He's talked about coming back at 155, but that seems like that's dead and gone too. So agreed. Yeah, I I think he's next. Probably Benil Darius, but Seriously. shit happens. I mean, he's he's a guy that. I I, w- I mean I would have talked about it here. I never thought he'd get here. I always thought he'd no. be an incredibly gifted fighter that would always lose a fight or get injured at just the wrong time, and all of a sudden here he is with seven wins in a row. A little yeah. bit like Charles Oliveira, really. Like, oh, absolutely. I had, I had to get rid of the like flaky thing because I'm like, well, flaky fighters don't win seven in a row in That's this division. Right. Uh, right. And here, think yeah, about, just the- think about when he got knocked out by Alex Hernandez. No, new. Who's this Alex Hernandez guy who just starts you in like a minute? Yeah. To be in this and, situation. And it didn't age well. Same as when James Vick knocked him out. That didn't age well. Like, like, good for uh, him. Just sucks that he lost this one. Yeah, and yeah, he'll be he'll be back. There, there's time. Like, I'm sure we'll be talking about him later this year. That's it. That's the Sherdog Radio preview for UFC Fight Night 202, Makachev versus Green, UFC Vegas 49. Uh, I've been Ben Duffy. He's Keith Schillen. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you're new to the show, certainly make sure to like, subscribe, uh, do all those good things. If you're not new and you've seen us before, you know that we do the recap uh, right after the main event, usually you know, 15 minutes or so after the main event. Keith and I will be live on the SureDog YouTube page breaking down all of these fights, what happened, what was good, what was bad, what was controversial, what's next, who needs to get cut. Uh, the live chat is always open there. We're taking your questions. We're taking your comments, your hot takes. Uh, if we really goofed up on any of these picks, we're taking your abuse. But it would be great <laughs> to see you there. It is a fun, very interactive and growing community of hardcore fans like yourselves and like us that love to talk about this stuff. Between now and then, have a great week. Enjoy the fights. And thank you once again for listening. Bye.